welcome. I'm so happy to have you on, dude. Um, Peter Andrew, uh, peterandrew.ca for anybody who has not looked you up before. Um, I'll leave like Instagram handles and things like that. But super talented photographer based out of Canada. You've been published everywhere, it seems like. Super excited to talk about some projects you've got going on. Thanks for thanks for coming on, dude. This is a super huge honor for me. Oh, my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Honestly, I'm, I'm just a regular dude and, and it's really nice to talk to you. You seem like a cool guy. So when you reached out to me, I thought, um, let's do your podcast. And so it was sort of like a Q and a over Instagram. Let's, let's do it for real. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm stoked about it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it a lot, dude. Yeah. When I, when I reached out, I mean, you know, to kind of fill everybody else in, it was kind of like, I'm super inspired by what you're doing and the visuals that you're producing are so incredible that I'm like, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a photographer, I'm a videographer, I'm a, a graphic artist, I'm a musician, I'm all these things. So I'm really trying to find out, you know, what my passion is and what, you know, what what best use of my time and how to really spread myself between all of these hobbies that I have to make something mm-hmm. of a profession with it. So when I yeah. look at you, it's just like you're just such a great example of someone who kind of had a vision for what they wanted to do and has been clearly executing on such a high level for such a long time. Thanks, man. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. I do. I, I don't think that it's unusual to be sort of in the situation where you're in, where you're sort of like, uh, I could do, I'm pretty good at a bunch of stuff. I don't know which direction I want to take exactly. Uh, I think there's a lot of people that are sort of in your exact same shoes and, and who knows, right? You might end up being like one of the big podcasts, you know, yeah. one day or, you know, or it could be to- something totally different. Like, what, you know, one day you might own a, you know, super successful window company, you know, anything can happen. <laughs> right. It's, it's, uh, it's a weird path. And, and I think a thing to keep in mind is like, there's a lot of luck involved too. Like you can, you can sort of work your butt off and, and everything sort of, is stalling and you don't know what the next move is. And then one day you get an inbox, uh, you know, and it's something that changes your life. So, um, yeah, there's no, there's no direct path forward in a job like this. And I think that that's something that's important to keep in mind. Like it really took a while for the wheels to like get traction for me. And it's been a slow thing. And somebody told me way back that it takes 10 years to grow a business. And I think at the time I was like, fuck, that's long time. But right. I mean, in hindsight, it's kind of correct. You know, it does take it does take a while of sort of proving your track record before things really take off. I mean, that said, I'm sure there's people out there. They had one successful project and the next thing you know, they're like, you know, living on a boat somewhere. But that's definitely right. That's not my journey. Yeah. But that's definitely like that's the exception to the rule, I think, in most cases. Right. I mean, not everybody's not everybody's that lucky. Like, like we're talking, like, I mean, there is, there is luck to it. And for me, like, you know, the stuff that I've been working on recently, it's, it's a lot of very like corporate, you know, video kind of work where it's, you know, it's still involving storytelling, but it's very, you know, kind of plain Jane. There's not a lot of like room for super creative aspects to it. So, well, I mean, I'll tell you, like it, like I still shoot jobs that sound very much similar to that. You know, it's not all hanging out the side of helicopters. In fact, like, you know, to this very day, if, if it's the right person and it's the right sort of budget and the right arrangement, like I, you know, I'm still shooting portraits in boardrooms too. Like it, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's all part of it. Um, I think what's nice is as your company grows and your experience grows, 
you get to sort of pass on jobs, which in, initially wasn't the case. I mean, I was, and I still am a working photographer. If you want me to work with my camera, like I'm, I'm there to do it. Uh, I'm, I take a very blue collar approach to the whole thing, you know, and slowly there's jobs that you can sort of start to pass on, you know, back in like 2016, I was like, all right, I think I'm done with weddings. It's not something that I feel passionate about. And it, serves a purpose. And I learned a lot, a lot shooting weddings, but at the same time, it's just like, I'm kind of want my weekends back and, um, I'm not, you know, super stoked on a Friday night to be waking up at seven in the morning to drive out somewhere to shoot a wedding. And that's right. one of the first things that I was like, okay, I think I've like graduated now and I'm not going to be doing that. Um, that said, you know, in the right circumstance, who knows, maybe I still would shoot one if it sounded like fun and it was something cool and whatever. Like, yeah. Um, so I don't think there's any shame in, in, you know, maybe shooting some like less than stellar corporate gigs, um, and treating, treating those kinds of gigs as though they were, uh, you know, something bigger than they are is a good way to sort of get your name out there and get people noticing what you're doing. If you treat your like thousand dollar, you know, whatever it is, corporate video as though it's a hundred thousand dollar or $20,000 corporate video and you make it look that way, then your client's probably going to be blown away. They are going to recommend you to their friends and, you know, and it snows balls that way. Like, I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind. Don't, don't be bummed out because you're sort of shooting these meat and potato gigs. I mean, not just you, this goes for anybody listening, but I I think that that's, that's a really thing, good thing to keep in mind. Like that's your training for when hopefully one day, you know, Adidas calls you up and says that we want you to shoot some video of one of our Olympic athletes or whatever, right? Is, is, right. is your, your training for that is shooting those lesser gigs and, and treating them as though they're more important than they are. Um, yeah, I'll, yeah. Uh, I'll definitely share some work with you, you know, after the, after the podcast episode and whatnot, just so you can kind of take a peek at it if you want to. But, uh, you know, a couple of the pieces that I've done recently, like I, I was working with a guy who, um, super nice guy, got really tight with his family. And, you know, we were doing a lot of the corporate stuff together for a while and he unfortunately passed away from COVID. So that was one of those stories where I just did a piece basically with his wife, basically talking about, you know, how they met when he got sick, when he passed and like how that affected them and their family. And, you know, from a aspect of like, you know, talk about pulling heartstrings on a project like that definitely really was one of my favorite things that I've done in recent history because it was so passionate for me. And I was able to really like stretch my creative bones a little bit with like, you know, coming up with a cool sequence to try and tell the story more and, and express, you know, how hard that is for them and, you know, what you don't expect hitting you in that way. Right. Like you never saw it coming, you know, even she says in that, in that little mini doc style type piece, you know, she, she knew he got sick, but didn't think he was like in danger, you know? So mm-hmm. it's just like certain things really hit and, and hard strings get pulled, but I'm um, trying to take more of a two ears, one mouth kind of approach to this talk with you, because I'm so interested to hear of like, how you got started. I mean, your work is phenomenal. So, I mean, you've got a very specific style that, I mean, truthfully, every time you post something, I'm just like blown away with how crazy sick it looks. Um, how did you get your foot in the door to photography to begin with? Or was that even something that was the start? uh, It was weird. Like I, I'm born in 1982. So like right around the turn of the century, I was graduating high school and, um, thank God in my high school, they had a very like, 
very sort of crude early form of like video editing class. Um, it was Adobe Premiere, I probably version 1.0. This is like circa the year 2000 or 1999 or something. And uh, I started editing video and teach the, the, the instructor, the teacher at the time was a really nice guy. I still talk to him and he was, uh, you know, had a rudimentary knowledge of the software and sort of showed it to me and, and immediately knew, I immediately knew that whatever this was, I was going to do a version of this for the rest of my life. Like I loved editing video and, um, uh, you know, one of the first assignments was like, we basically had to take the national Canadian national anthem and make a reel, uh, to accompany the music that, you know, I don't know if you remember this, but back in the day, TV would like turn off at 3 a.m. or 1 1 a.m. or whatever. And when it turned off, there'd be the national anthem and then music would play. And then there'd be visuals of, you know, like soldiers marching and flyovers of like Niagara Falls in Canada anyway or whatever. And and so we had to sort of cut together a reel that would go with the national anthem as though it was getting put at the end of the um, whatever. The network sign off, I think, is the name of that. And so I I edited together like a, a really good project basically based off clips that I found. And it, you know, he was like, this is amazing. He's like, if this was the real thing on the network sign off, it wouldn't look out of place. And I was super, you know, it just felt good. And I wasn't great at school. You know, if I didn't like something, I sucked at it. So if I didn't like math, like I could get my like passing grade, but I wasn't passionate about it at all. And this was like the first thing in school where I was like, I got a hundred percent on the assignment. The teacher patted me on the back, you know, figuratively and was like, look, man, this is, this is great. You're doing good. So it was a really nice feeling. And I knew right then and there that I was going to do something to do with media or video or photo. Um, and then I started working in, um, you know, the school got a bit of money from, uh, from a big network here. It's called Rogers. It's like a, you know, it's like a Canadian version of like a CBS or like a, you know, okay. whatever NBC. And they, and they funded a, the school to have like an inbound television station. And I was the editor and every morning the announcements were sort of like clipped together to look like a little TV broadcast. And it, it went really well and people responded to it and the school would like brag, you know, it was like one of the, one of the cool things that the high school was doing and it sort of, picked, you know, it was on the local news or whatever. And again, it was just a nice feeling. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm good at something. I'm finally, you know, like academically excelling at something. And that was sort of the start, but I didn't know I was going to be end, end up doing photo. Like that realization really came when I started working as an assistant, um, you know, in my university years, I went to school for like a general media arts type program here at the university of Toronto. And, um, basically I started assisting on film sets, television commercials. Like one of the jobs I worked on was this big Kia commercial, Kia car commercial. And, um, you know, on a film set, I think, a lot of people who might have worked in the field or maybe, maybe they don't know this, but you know, it's a huge team. Like these television commercials would have like 80 people on set. Uh, you know, there's the guys that like do the camera stuff. There's the guys that set up the lights. There's the guys for audio. There's the guys for special effects. And if you're new, you're literally starting at the bottom. So you're the guy like, you know, collecting garbage bags and moving trucks around. And I was like in my early twenties and I was like, I'm not learning anything about filmmaking except that like, you know, the sets are huge and there's a very distinct hierarchy between the people that get to make the creative decisions and like literally the people that are there to like drive the trucks that move the equipment around. And I wasn't, you know, I was a little disheartened by that. I still didn't think I, 
I still thought I wanted to direct or do editing or something in that world, but I just knew that it was going to be, you know, a weird journey to get there. It's not like now where, you know, we all have these like amazing cameras, video or, you know, video or stills. And if you have a good idea and you have a computer and a, and a phone, you can make a pretty cool movie or right. a music video. If you're a 16 right. year old kid and you're talented, you could do it. Where uh, back I, then, I was just talking about sure. this with somebody where, uh, you know, it's the old, the old, uh, VHS kind of like tape recorders, right. Where you're starting and stopping each scene because editing software didn't exist. So you had people that were really crafty about calculating their shots and dialing that stuff in. So each scene cut together in basically on tape without doing really any post production to it. It was like those, those to me, I, I grew up just at the tail end of that. And I, you know, almost a little bit of a shame to say that I've grown up in the digital side of cameras more so than I ever did with film. Uh, I was talking about it with somebody else that like film and like medium formats, one of my favorite looking, you know, types of photography. Yeah. I'm I'm truly like afraid to like pick it up and try and dive into it. Yeah. I mean, for what it's worth, like I love the analog feeling of shooting film. I learned you know, in university, the first time was the first time I ever took a photography class. I never took photography in high school. There was, like I said, there's that one class where I kind of learned a video edit, but I mostly taught myself. Uh, but photography wise, I was self-taught until university. And in the tail end of my university, I took a uh, photography class and it was analog. It was dark room. We used 35 millimeter and we were exposing, you know, the film in the dark room. And I learned about printing and stuff like that. So right. I have done it before, but I'm of the school of thinking that like, you know, there's a place for that. And there's a, there's a beautiful look and feel to analog photography. And I I don't want to dismiss that, but what I'm really interested is, is, you know, making, um, you know, as resolute and as detailed images as possible. And right now with the technology that exists, if you are fortunate enough to, you know, use, the best digital equipment, then you are, in my opinion, going to have a result that's more like the kind of images that I want to make. Like I'm, I'm curious about, you know, really getting, um, the most detail and the most definition out of my images. So I, I'm, I'm not a guy who's like really, um, geeking out about what analog camera something was shot in. I'm curious about what that image looks like. The images that inspire me the most, I don't care what camera they were shot on necessarily. Like it's cool if you shot that with an eight by 10 camera with bellows and, and that's all, that's amazing. I, I mean, all the power to you. If you get the best result that way, that's great. Um, for me, I, I'm, I'm really interested mostly in the end product. I don't care what camera it is. Like if Samsung or, you know, Panasonic has the best camera right now, then, then that's the, or what I consider the best camera that's going to get the best results for what I'm doing. That's the camera I'm going to be using. Right. Um, but that, that all said, I do love the sort of beauty of analog cameras. I love the sound they make. I love the design of them. I get it. You know, I like vintage cars too. You know, like right. I think that like trucks, trucks from the seventies and eighties are the coolest looking trucks. But if I'm going to try to like, you know, drive across the, you know, drive from New York to LA I'm going to do it in a brand new F-150, (laughs) you know, like 77 Chevy or whatever, you know? Um, And I I just think it's like a pragmatism um, in my own work, but I don't want to take anything away from people that 
or you know geek out about analog cameras because I get it, but yeah, uh, it's not really what I what I'm into. Uh, I kind of want the camera that's going to get the best result. Yeah, um, most reliable. I, I think so. I think the main thing that I've noticed when it when it's people talking about analog and like film is like there's a sense of like romance that like comes yeah. across with it. Like the, there's that feeling of like taking a photo and not having that immediate gratification of being able to like look at your proof right away uh-huh. yeah. that, that really like sets it apart in most cases for people, which is to me, that's the part that's like, I trust myself. I have a good eye. I can shoot a photo and be pretty confident about, you know, my settings and, and how I'm going about it if I were to try but mm-hmm. I've definitely grown up in digital. So there's definitely like that, you know, that fear of like, man, I just don't want to fuck this up. You know what I mean? Like it's, I, I, I hear that. Um, I will say too, like I learned on analog and, um, having that groundwork, that knowledge of like, you actually understand the sort of math or the calculation you have to be making in order to make a properly exposed image. Uh, you're, you, it's way easier to fuck up if you're shooting an analog you have to actually know photography right. in order to get a proper exposure um so i i you know f- for anyone who cares or for what it's worth i think that it's a it's a good exercise to learn to shoot an analog and right. then apply that you know to, to all photography i mean it helps when you're exposing on your iphone even if you know what f-stop means sure. and, what sure. and all that stuff so so it's a it's worthy exercise and i understand the nostalgia in it too um, I don't have like, and I, I have a lot of friends obviously who are photographers and a lot of them that are older than me and far more successful, but like they do have this sort of, um, dismissiveness about, you know, all photography now because it's too easy and it's too, you know, too much is done for you. And, uh, you don't have to know that much and it's not hard. And I, I don't necessarily agree with that, I, that kind of attitude. I, I think that it's great that, you know, you can, you can get a professional looking image, um, you know, I, 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 like for almost anybody can get a professional looking image be, because the cameras are so good. I look through my mom's, you know, photos on her iPhone and she's like in her early seventies and the photos look phenomenal because it's all right. You know, it's all perfect. The cameras are great. They auto adjust and everything like that. I think, I think what's most interesting to me is really the content of the image and not what camera uh, you're shooting it with. And I, and I think that, uh, you know, that's, that's really what I'm getting at. That's the, that's the theme is that, you know, I care about the content way more than like the process to get there. And yeah. If, and if you shot, like there's, there's so many great images that are shot on an iPhone and I, I don't think, I don't care. Like it's, it's right. I don't care if you're shooting that on some like vintage has that like belongs in a museum case or if you're shooting that on an iPhone 10, it's like, if it's great, it's great. That's it. Right. I completely agree. Yeah. It's actually, I mean, you mentioned vintage trucks, right? I mean, I'm a big fan too, but that's a, that's actually probably admittingly where I stumbled on you initially was McKinnon, uh, him and his F one fifty, right? Like super sick, sick old school truck. And, and I've been following him for a long time and he definitely is the one that kind of like introduced me to your work. Um, and it's one of those things that like, dude, you're, your eye and the detail for like the nooks and the crannies on some of the stuff. I mean, it started with a golf ball, right? That was the first one that you shot in like a high rise. I mean, I guess, yeah. I mean, I guess that was like the original camera test was back in whatever it was, 2005, 2006. I, I shot a golf ball on a white background. Uh, and then 
what Pete was showing in one of his videos is that I actually reshot it with like a 150 megapixel camera. That's sick. Yeah. Which is image stacked. And it, you know, that I actually have to print that image. I I've, I've yet to print it, but I shot that like, you know, right before Christmas. And, uh, you know, sort of sort of comes full circle because one of the things, I guess my work is sort of become known for is, is, you know, isolating objects on a white background. And so I returned to that exact same golf ball, you know, whatever it was 15 years later. Sure. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, so, so I, th- I think it's cool. Like I, I love sort of finding objects out in the world and then placing them on this pedestal, if you want to call it. And, sure. uh, and being able to sort of like, you know, fetishize that thing or stare at that thing in a detail that's, you know, impossible without photography. And I think that's sort of the magic of those kinds of images. I yeah, hope that's what resonates with people about them. I mean, you've got a couple different, um, collections of things i'll call them from your photos like i know you did like the overpass series which is you know to your to your note of like helicopter status you know anti-drone realistic high you know high shooting rate like the the coolest stuff ever um and then my favorite is probably the collectibles with like stamps and coins and all that kind of stuff i mean to me there's so much character coming through on this little stamp or, you know, a coin that's been, you know, in however many pockets through time. Yeah. Uh, there's something really cool about these little things that tell such a huge story. Um, you know, I think my favorite and it's probably, you know, one of the most, I guess, jarring at first. Cause you just, it takes you back. But the point blank series that you did with all the different handguns and, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming there's a couple of machine guns in there. Uh, yeah. super cool series that like, you know, I mean, it makes you feel something, you know, and that's super, sure. super sick. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I think you said something really important, which is it makes you feel something. I think, you know, there is like I, looking for, something that has is, is is profound not just in photography and whatever you do i think is paramount that should be that should be the first thing you're trying to do is to is to ha- is to find a subject matter that's profound i mean i would think but i don't think that's how most people approach whether it's photography or whether it's you know anything if it's if it's a job that you're doing on your own time for yourself, you should be trying to find something that's profound, something that makes people feel something. I think for me, I've always just thought that that's the point of this whole thing anyway, is to, is to make something special and to make, make something that people are going to feel something when they look at it. I think that's a really important and a really good barometer, you know, like for people that are like, ah, I don't really know what I want to do. I don't really know what I want to shoot. I don't like it's well, well, I don't know. Like, there's something out there for almost everybody that they're actually interested in. Like, you know, whether for a guy like you, it might be vintage trucks, or for somebody else, it might be some, you know, rare form of orchid that's out there in the world that they really know about. Or maybe it's somebody who's like, you know, got a collection of like Starbucks Christmas disposable cups that goes back to the year 2000. Like, I mean, there's right. something interesting everywhere. Right. It never ends, right? It never ends. And I think that, like, you know, the exercise should be, look around, see what other artists are doing and through history too, not just right. on Instagram. Not right. that there's anything wrong with looking for inspiration on Instagram either. I mean, I do it too. I don't, I don't even, I was going to say I'm guilty of that too, but I don't think there should be any guilt associated with that. Right. There's lots of beautiful stuff on Instagram. Right. But I think that there's also, you know, years and years of, 
architectural history books and, and museums and and it's just stuff out there in the universe. You know, I can pick up the paper sometimes and, and read the story and then there's something there that gets me inspired. You know, like I was reading about um, how in, in the Ukraine uh, they blew up the largest plane in the world, the Antonov 225. It's a plane that the Russians developed or uh, the Ukrainians developed and they're part of the Soviet Union to carry around what was going to be, you know, the Russian competitor to the to the American space shuttle. So then in the in the eighties, right at the tail end of the Soviet Union, they built this giant plane, which is six engines and the largest jet engine plane ever constructed, which is the Antonov two twenty five. And now it exploded because there was a you know a firefight in the airport where it was housed. And I was just thinking to myself, like how cool would it be to do a photo of one of those engines before it was destroyed, unfortunately. But like, you know, just right. isolate one of those engines and photograph that. And I mean that's something that for sure, if I saw that on a wall, I would stare in front, stand in front of that, and be like, "This is unbelievable," you know. And then right. So, and that's just something that I kind of just came to me. I don't. I'm not saying everybody's going to think it's cool, but to me, that's like I'm like I would die to get the opportunity to shoot that thing. Right. And that's just something that I just kind of picked up on from a from a news story. I didn't really know anything about it until then, or or whatever. You know, it's right. I wasn't familiar with it, and and so I, I kind of think that like looking for those details you know, in, in throughout the universe is, is, a, is just a really good exercise, you know, like what's the, what's the smallest dog in the world? What's the biggest dog in the world? What would sure. it look like to take a picture of those two things together in the same room? Like, yeah. you know, there's just, there's just stuff, there's just stuff that's cool. And that's, that's, and, and there's stuff too, like that photography is the perfect medium right. to express that to people. Right. Like you're not going to, you're not going to show how diverse the canine species is between, you know, some 400 pound dog and some two pound dog through writing and telling people about it. You've got to show them, you, they got to see the visual. I right. like, that's where photography comes in. And that's, that's where like photography does have this unique power to like really outline in no uncertain terms, well, different, the, different things, you know? Well, total. I mean, well, to piggyback on kind of the, the collections aspect, right? Like you just did a, project more than zero uh dot club i think is the website for it but uh it's an nft project cataloging the canadian pennies from a certain year to a certain year before they were discontinued is that correct that's right yeah i think you you guys you guys in the u.s you guys still have the penny right they still manufacture Yeah. yeah so in 20 in 2012 they got rid of it they said like you know this actually doesn't have any value it costs us way more to make a penny than a penny Right. Um, so we're just going to round up or round down. I don't even fucking know. Cause it's five cents. It doesn't even matter. If I, one cent doesn't matter. Five cents barely matters. Right. So they basically just got rid of it in 2012. Um, and so when, you know, I, I was kind of like, I have, um, I'm fortunate to have like, a, you know, some collectors that, you know, t- hit me up from time to time and they want some artwork for their house or for their office or whatever. And, um, you know, slowly this sort of like rumbling about NFTs happened, uh, you know, maybe around this time last year, back in whatever, 2021. And I'd have a few clients be like, oh, my God, we just bought your piece. We love it so much. Have you thought about NFTs? Have you thought about NFTs? And that sort of turned into like, you know, 20 or 50 of those conversations. And eventually I was like, OK, I'm going to do one. I want to do something special. I think that because it is NFTs and there's a lot of resistance to them because People are like, what? I'm just buying, you know, a digital copy of 
of an image. So I really wanted to sort of give people something special, which yeah, is maybe, unavailable. Yeah. Maybe explain, people. maybe explain NFTs in general. Cause I know when we, we were kind of like tossing around ideas of like what we'd cover kind of talking about today, Yeah, we kind of went through that and I, I was very candid about it. I, I know jack shit about NFTs. So I know that, you know, probably the little education that you have is probably more than I've ever heard from anybody else. Yeah. For, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm for no, by no means an expert, but I do feel like I've like educated myself uh, definitely way more than I knew this time last year about them. And basically what it means is like I have an item that is digital that I can 100% verifiably prove is an original. And that's done the same way that cryptocurrency is sort of verifiable is through a blockchain. So there's a, there's a code associated with that image. Um, and I can prove to you 100% of the image that I have, the file that I have is the original that has been uh, authorized by the artist. Uh, in the same sense, if you have, um, you know, a, uh, a print of mine or of Ansel Adams or whoever, um, you know, you can go online right now and Google my name and do an image search and find the most high-res image of that image that you're looking at available online. And some of them, you know, are large enough to print and you can print it and hang it on your wall. And the difference is, is if it comes from me or it comes through a gallery that represents me, it comes with a certificate of authenticity. Uh, it's numbered. It's in, it's in a, you know, and it's in a, there's a, you know, there's a document, a spreadsheet associated with all my bodies of work. And it's got a, uh, you know, it's got a signature on it and it's got a number and it's got an addition on it. And you can basically one day, if you were going to go sell that piece off your wall, prove that this is an original, this is approved and signed by the artist, created by the artist. And in theory, it makes it more valuable than the piece that I can, you know, drag and click into my printer, print off and put in a frame and hang on my wall. Sure. So same thing here, like this, the, in the NFT space, you're basically you have something that's guaranteed as the original and, and, and there's inherent value in that. If there's a group of people that want to have that thing, you can say, well, I have that thing. It's not a replica. It's the real deal. And I can prove that to you. So that's sort of the technology behind NFT. Um, and what's happened is there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people that are interested in collecting these things. Um, and therefore, because you can prove that you have the real thing, there's scarcity and there's value. It's basic economics. So that's why you see NFTs that are selling for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. Um, anyway, so when I decided to sort of enter this, this, you know, the NFT world with with my own work, I wanted to do something that was a little bit different. And I think that what I really wanted to show people or give value to people is that like, if you buy an NFT from the more than zero NFT project, you are getting a one of one. It's not like that penny is one of 20 or that penny is one of five. The penny that you get, if you enter this NFT, you know, this, this, NF, this NFT launch that I'm doing is 100% special and no two are alike. And they're really, what's really interesting about them is that they're cool. Like if you look at them in extreme detail, like I've done with all, you know, my sort of macro work, but these pennies have, it's like a fingerprint or a snowflake. Each, each one has its own scratches and has its own sort of personality. It's almost like with the sort of oxidization that happens in pennies too, like copper goes green and it's almost got its own like geology. And, and, you know, I, I captured them in this extreme detail. So I think that 
there's something special about each and every one of them. And I didn't want to do a project where there's like 10,000 of these items. I wanted to make it like still kind of rare. So there's 551 individual NFTs. If you, there's incentives too. Like if you buy one, then you're automatically entered into a draw to own a print um, that is either small or big. There's a sort of scale. If you buy three NFTs, you're automatically getting a signed print that comes with their certificate of authenticity. So it does actually come with a physical thing as well. And, uh, and yeah, I, th- I think that I wanted to do something special. I didn't want to just like take the work I already had, you know, slap it onto OpenSea and be like, okay, I'm, I'm selling NFTs now. I, I really wanted to, to come out with a project or a sort of idea. Like so much of the language between traditional currency and the language of NFTs and crypto, there's so much overlap, right? Like you mint an NFT, it's a coin, you know, Bitcoin, or it's a, you know, a token and all that stuff sort of, obviously there's a sort of irony in the fact that like we are minting NFTs of objects that were actually minted by the Royal Canadian Mint. So I think that that was something that I was interested in and I wanted to sort of you know, bring into the NFT space and we'll see. I mean, it's, it's been really fun. Uh, I mean, if it, anything it's else. a, it's a super rad looking project, dude, for sure. Thanks, man. Yeah, uh, it's, I mean, just the shooting, the shooting of the project was, was nuts, right? Like we were, right. you know, we were in the studio for three days, you know, we're, and you sort of have this jar of change in front of you and you like put it onto the thing, take the shot with the super camera, it pops up on the monitor and all of a sudden, you know, you're looking at this like crazy object that like when you're, you know, we're looking at it with naked eye, all that detail sort of lost on you. Right. But in, in blowing it up like that in each one was different. And, and then we put it to that time lapse and we we're, you know, we were super yeah, excited. Super about cool. It. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a really nice little addition. It was just watching all the years just start piling up. That, that was super rad to watch, dude. Uh, Thanks, what, uh, I think, I think, I mean, I know that you've been in like the macro space for quite a while, but I mean, I guess the main question that comes to me is like, what inspires you? Like, like, is it just, is it, I mean, obviously you've got like, you've got one of those brains that like looks at something and, and like, like you said, like small dog and a big dog. Like, I want to see both of those things. Like, what does that look like? Like, like that kind of concept, like your brain and the way that you're, you're kicking and spinning, it's super rad. And I'm just kind of curious, like, where do you pull inspiration from on a daily basis? I'd say, I mean, I, I the short answer, unfortunately, is I don't know, but I do think yeah. I'm a really, I'm a really curious person. You yeah. know, I, I, I think that I, um, I'm not somebody that gets bored easily. I think that I will, you know, I'll run out of life way before I run out of, run out of things I'm curious about. Right. You know, I think that like, it's, it's just, there's so much out there and there's so much history and there's so much weird things that people have tried and built and, and fucked up. And, and it's, and it's just all out there to be sort of soaked in. I mean, you can, I can get lost reading Wikipedia for, you know, if I can't sleep for a few hours and I go down a rabbit hole and right. there's infinite information. And I think that, I don't know, I think I'm, I'm sort of blessed with that curiosity. I don't think it exists in everybody, but I think I that, agree with uh, that, but you have to train it. Sure. You know, you have to train it. You have to try weird shit. You have to put yourself in the weird situations. You know, like I, you know, I've, I've been 
I, you know, I've, I've been to really nice restaurants and I've also, you know, been drunk at dive bars, you know, for totally. like, I, it's, it's, it's that sort of high low and, and that goes for everything. I, I, I'm not interested in just sort of like, you know, only living in one place and only knowing one group of friends just that all sort in a of certain like, lane. yeah, like, I mean, you know, like, in no pro there's no problem with this, but I personally couldn't do this. But like, I think a lot of people sort of like grow up and go to high school and then they stay in that community and then they have a family and then, you know, and then they sort of watch their kids grow and then their lives become their kids lives. And then, you know, and then you retire and that's sort of it. And like, right. I, I think that I really want to taste the rainbow. I, I want to do weird, weird stuff, you know, like, I don't know, like it's, it's not, um, it's not interesting to me to just, sort of like sit and be entertained, you know, but that to say like, look, I'm a normal guy. I fucking watch Netflix and I, you know, take a nap and it's not like I'm like, you know, constantly walking around my neighborhood with a, with a magnifying glass trying to like find (laughs) shit on the ground, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, dude, you're, you're just, you're fascinating with, you know, watching like, and, and to me, I think, the philanthropic side of stuff that you're doing right now too. I mean, you did the Ukraine subway tokens, which I know was all proceeds went to those efforts, which I think is rad. Um, thank you. You know, that, that, that was kind of the first thing that I think I saw that I was just like, I did a deep dive into like, who is this guy? Like, this is, this is sick. Like what you're doing. And I've always been kind of in that place. I mean, this is more from the songwriter perspective for me, but I mean, when I, when I write, obviously it's coming from a very personal perspective for me. And it's usually related to like my story, uh, and like what I'm thinking and feeling about a certain topic or a relationship I went through or whatever it may be. Right. But it's that, it's that twist on things to like make it something that can be perceived by others and like they can process it in a different way. I've always been really like inspired and a little bit honored that somebody will walk up to me after they hear a song I played and, you know, they're like, oh, was that about this? And I, you know, kind of kindly say no, but that's incredible that that's what it is for you. Yeah. You know, like that, that to me, that's been the biggest part about the songwriting aspect of my life. That's always been super interesting is like how people can take something that I made and kind of like rinse and repeat it in their own head and, and spit out something completely different. And I, and I find that like a lot of your work does that for me. It makes me feel things in that same kind of way. So, I mean, I'm just very impressed with, I never really knew much or it never really took a step into the macro photography world as much as I've kind of like dove in recently, you know, kind of going down the rabbit hole of looking at your work. Mm-hmm. And it kind of trailed me into looking at other photographers that are specialized in that kind of field. And I don't know, dude, it. it's, it's, it's super cool what you're doing. And, and, you know, it's been really interesting to like kind of have my mind blown a little bit by what you do for a living. I mean, thank you. That's, that's, that's very flattering. Like I, I definitely, I mean, I appreciate that. I mean, I, I, I think at the end of the day, like I, um, the fact that it makes people feel something is amazing because, you know, I don't want to say I'm conceited, but I'm sort of trying to entertain my own curiosity most of the time when I'm doing these projects. And 
the fact that it resonates with people is almost just this, you know, unbelievable bonus. But at the end of the day, like when I'm coming up with ideas or, or thinking about things that I want to do, it's like, it's usually because I want to see what that would look like. And right. I never know exactly what it's going to look like. It's a, it's a weird feeling. Like when we shot the, uh, this project I did called the uncanny Valley portrait series. And, uh, I went, I got permission from Madame Tussauds uh, wax museum in Las Vegas to go in there and basically it was incredible. Like almost do whatever I want. So I went in there with my, my friend Cody, who was my assistant at the time. And we, we started shooting these portraits of these wax figures. And I, I, I was, it was a test. I wanted to see if I can photograph them in the way that would fool the viewer into thinking that they're actually looking at the real thing. Like you're actually looking at, you know, whatever, Justin Bieber, or you're actually looking at Bruce Willis. So we photographed these wax sculptures and I remember, and again, it's, it's a process of experimentation. I didn't know it was going to work. And I remember when the first one came up on the monitor, I wasn't looking at the monitor. I was looking through the viewfinder and I could hear my assistant, like, you know, just being like, whoa. And I was like, okay, it worked. And that's basically the whole thing, you know, it's, it's just a test. It's just a test. And then it sometimes turns into something or sometimes it doesn't turn into anything. And, uh, and it's amazing that people, you know, the, these tests sort of resonate with people and it works and, it, and that people are excited about it. And well, to piggyback on that project that you did, I thought it was really interesting that you kind of took that one a step further. Right. So in the local areas, there's those uh, whatever they uh, what do you call them? Like the poster kind of like yeah, holsters like, or like, what? like they're, they kind of look like uh you know, like bus shelter sized, um, right. you know, billboards or like, you know, out of, out of home advertising spaces. They're right. these glass cases that are like around four by like six feet high and four feet wide or something like that. It's yeah. like a standard size. Yeah. And so I, 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 I took those, those images that I shot at the wax museum and I, and I sized them and printed them exactly to spec of those glass advertising cases. And they're just, you know, all you need is a screwdriver to open them up. So, and and they're all vacant, by the way. There was no ad. There's some. Right. I don't even really know the intricacies of it all. But at the time, the city of Toronto, where I lived, was going through this sort of shift in what kind of advertising was allowed and what wasn't allowed. And so, all these sort of, you know, all these billboard spaces, these glass billboard cases, were empty. And so, I populated them with portraits that I'd shot at the wax museum and just left them up there for, you know, a few, few days. And then people started, you know, because of social media, people were like, what is this? Is this some weird new movie that's coming out? Is this like, <laughs> what is this? There are these spaces that are so obviously, you know, we recognize them as advertising spaces, you know, that's where right. like the Coca-Cola ad goes out or the new star Wars movie, you know, poster goes into and all of a sudden you have like a picture with Britney Spears with zero explanation. Right. And so people started really freaking out and, uh, and taking photos and posting them on social media and the, the local media got involved and like the sort of like, you know, the local news channel did an interview with me about it. And by the time that that sort of started happening, they started getting stolen. Like people would go in and take the posters. And, and so like by the time I was doing like some of the, some of the media, um, we actually had to find you know, I, I can't remember how many I did, like a dozen or like 10 of them or something like that around the city. And then by the time we were actually doing the, the press for them with uh, with a, 
news channel called CTV News, there are like there's like one or two left because people have been opening up and sort of stealing them, which I think is like the ultimate compliment if somebody you know, wants it that bad that they're willing right. to like break the law to get it. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, true, dude. Seriously. I, I'm yeah. No, that series is super rad. And I think that that like kind Thanks. of like, you know, experiment, so to speak, uh, was super, super cool in my mind. Um, Thanks, man. advice to, to me mostly, cause we're ta- talking, but I mean, you know, coming from that perspective, you know, I, Watching the Peter McKinnon stuff that you've done and a couple of the different like the, you know, that video on your site that I watched with, um, you know, shooting the overpasses and things. Mm-hmm. Your studio is in your backyard. It's a garage yeah. you converted, right? Um, yeah. That space is that kind of like when you walk in there, you're immediately like just thinking like what what am I going to shoot? Like you're just excited to start doing stuff in that space. Like, does that help you? kind of start getting your gears turning? I think that's a, that's a great question. Um, I mean, yes and no, like, and this is a good thing, but realistically a lot of what that space is used for right now is signing prints, additioning prints, um, putting them in shipping tubes and then driving them over to, uh, staples and sending them FedEx to various clients or to different galleries. So that's like a hundred percent full transparency. Like I would love to use that space more as a shooting space. And I do, I mean, I was shooting in there yesterday, but a lot of that, um, a lot of that space has sort of turned into this like little factory where I'm, um, authenticating pieces and then sorting through them and, you know, making sure prints are good. And, you know, there's a lot of like, sort of just, that kind of day-to-day stuff that's happening in there right now. Um, but it is an inspiring space. I love being in there. It was an apartment until COVID. My friend moved to Detroit. That space was empty. I had a larger space in like an industrial part of the city that um, for a while I technically wasn't even allowed to go into because of the COVID rules and stuff like that. Right. You know, in that sort of like transition of the last, you know, couple of years with COVID and stuff, I was just kind of like, it's small in there, but I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. I've never, I've, I've had two studios in my career. This was, this is my third and I've never owned either of them. They were cool. Like the first studio, especially like it was really great to have in the formative years of my career. Like I had a really cool loft with two stories and like a mezzanine for my office. I shared it with a really cool guy named Mac Guido, who, you know, is an amazing photographer in his own right. But I've never owned any of those spaces. And I was like, okay, like this is nice to be able to take ownership of the space that I have. And if I want to put in skylight or, you know, do some crazy shelving system, it's not like just burning money because I own the, I own that space and I can really make it my own. But, um, it's, it's where I go to work. It is inspiring in there. I like being in there, go in there, play some music, have a coffee, you know, it is good to be in there. And and it is really nice to have that so close. Like if I feel like it at two in the morning, I can go in there and start shooting, you know, East German Deutschmarks if I want to. That's what I'm going to do right now. Fuck it. I'm going in there. I'm going to do it. And that Ukrainian uh, token uh, that we were talking about earlier, that's exactly what happened. Like I came back from shooting a three day furniture, marathon furniture job. And then the token was in my mailbox. I had somebody drop it off. And then I, I was just like, you know what? I'm not, I can't sleep right now. I'm just going to go do it. And then 
that morning it was ready to go. And that's, that's an right. amazing feeling to be able to do that 24 hours a day. So I think I, I think a really long answer to a simple question. No, no, it's, uh, that was a great answer. Cause, cause my thing is this too. And this, this is kind of an ongoing question to that one. But, um, you know, for me, you know, I know I've, I've sent you like a snapshot of my office and how I have this space set up and, I definitely feel very encouraged to create in this space. But the one thing that I would say is a complaint from me is that it's not separated from home. So mm -hmm. my office is, you know, like a French, you know, or a, whatever you want to call it, double door, French, French door. doors, um, kind yeah. of access office off of my living room, which I love being able to just like stroll in here and, I'm in the space and I can just start going right away. But what's hard for me is to actually say like, okay, I'm done with work for the day and I want to completely disconnect. Like what I think is really cool about your setup is you have this studio space that allows you to make that decision. I'm going to go in there and just kind of put blinders on to your house and home life yeah. uh, and focus in on, on the project that you want to take on. Is that, yeah. is that kind of nice to have as the option? Um, I will say like, like it's two part. Like I, I did like having a studio that I could like feel in the morning. Like, even though I've been self-employed since I was like, you know, 25 or 26 or something. So, um, I had to sort of like learn to regiment my life because I don't have a boss. I don't have, you know, I don't check out at the end of the day. It's really like, you eat what you kill. And if you don't kill anything, you starve, you know? So it's like, I've had to like, be like, okay, morning coffee, get in my car, drive to the studio, work, and then come back. And of course I have my phone. I can answer an email or two, but I'm not at work. So there is something good about that. But here in my situation now at my house, like I got my studio, but I'm sitting in my office right now. Like I'm, this is gross. And I don't think this is necessarily what everybody wants, but I'm kind of always working, you know, like, I, I don't, I don't care that like, you know, I, I'm also fortunate because listen, like I'm, I, I you know, I'm kids. I don't have some like real responsibilities. My, I mean, like I'm a big teenager basically. So, and I love what I do. So I don't care. Like if I, if I want to, I'll just, I'll just keep working if there's stuff to do. So I, I do not really have a separation at this point between sort of, you know, work and play or like I'm, I'm, I've got my office that's right next to my bedroom. That's around the corner that way. And then downstairs out to the backyard into the garage. And then, I have another desk there with another monitor and I work in there. And I even, I was having this conversation with my brother recently, who's a really hard working dude, but he's like, why do you have an office next to your bed? If you've got a whole studio set up in the back. And it's just because like, I don't know, it's just like in years, like I got my like whiteboard, I got my stuff. And you know, I, I guess in theory, if I'm doing more like sort of bookkeeping type shit, it happens in here. And then out there is the more creative space, but it, they all overlap and, and, uh, and yeah, so I don't know. I mean, hopefully if you're self-employed, you're doing something where you're not dreading work, you know, most of the time, at least we all do jobs that fucking suck. And you're like, oh my God, here's another email about this thing. Like, leave me the fuck alone. But if you're, hopefully if you're self-employed most of the time, like work's a good thing and, and, and more emails is a good thing and, you know, more stuff to do is good. And, and, uh, and I don't mind, I don't mind having no, zero separation between work and play basically, <laughs> you know, it's okay. Yeah. I think that's case in point with separation. <laughs> she's just working up. For, she's waking up from her little nap. Yeah. 
Oh, that's the same. Like, that's what I'm like. I'm laughing because both the little ones were like on the sofa, living their best life, sleeping away. <laughs> and, and we got a 105 pound pit bull back in the bedroom who literally is like oh, the wow. laziest dog ever now. Very <laughs> odd trio of puppies we have, dude. That's cool. Where, whereabouts do you live? Um, so we're in Gilbert, Arizona. So we, I grew up in Mesa. So if you know, kind of the Valley in general, cause I know you've, you've been out here. I, I from yeah, what research, yeah, yeah, you've, yeah. you've shot like yeah. overpasses out here and whatnot yeah. and probably probably. Projects, I but. love it there. My yeah. brother's actually there right now. My brother's in Flagstaff. Um, oh, nice. And he's, yeah, he's, I mean, he, him and his girlfriend are on vacation. They're going to Tucson. They're going to Flagstaff and all over. Um, I love that part of the world, man. Like, I, I'll, I, I'll meet you. I'll meet you in real life eventually. Like, I'll be yeah. out there eventually. Like, Dude, that'd I, be awesome. I really, yeah, I really, uh, I am, yeah, man. I, uh, I love Arizona. Um, I love the whole Southwest. The food's good. The people are oh, cool. Food's the best. The, the landscapes are unbelievable. Like yeah. it's a, uh, it's a magical place. Man. Really, I, really I, 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 I kind of laugh because, um, I've primarily lived here my whole life, but I lived in, um, North Idaho. So North of Coeur d'Alene. So in the panhandle of Idaho, um, mm-hmm. brutal winters. And it was yeah. so funny because, you know, super nice people in that part of the country. And when I met people, it was, um, it was really cool how touching everybody was just like so open and welcoming and, and, you know, super, you know, down to introduce me to this guy and introduce me to that guy. And it was such a great networking thing that kind of naturally happened out there. But, you know, God bless them. They would say like, oh, we have the best authentic Mexican food over here. You've got to try it. And then we would go and yeah. it's like the most vanilla Mexican food you've ever tried in your life with like no spice, yeah. no heat. So, I mean, I, I definitely know that like growing up out here, I'm I'm, you know, a little bit pampered with the Mexican cuisine, which is oh, so dude. fire. So yeah. I know. I know, man. We gotta uh, we gotta meet up eventually and uh, and go for some uh, go for some tacos and margaritas or something. Hell yeah, dude! That. It sounds like a plan to me. Cool. Dude, uh, um, I really appreciate you. I'll, I'll make sure that we post, you know, all the all the website links and the Instagram handles. Um, anything that you want to shout out that you want people to pay attention to? Um, no, I mean, listen. Thank you for doing this interview. It's been really, really nice talking to you. I, I feel like we can just shoot the shit forever. For um, sure. I, <laughs> And, uh, and let me know if you have any questions and for anybody who's listening, like for the most part, if you reach out to me on Instagram or through email or whatever, I try to get back to people, even if it's just like a brief note, like I, I do read most of that stuff. And as long as you're, um, you know, just genuinely interested, I want to help people out because people help me out. So, so like, let's just leave it there. Yeah. And, and, uh, if people are interested in the NFT project, it's more than zero uh, dot club yep. is the, uh, and it's all over my Instagram and stuff. You can't miss it. So, uh, go check that out if that's cool. And, uh, and yeah, thanks again. And, Dude, um, thank, thank you. I absolutely can't thank you enough. I mean, I know initially it was just kind of like, uh, me reaching out randomly to be like, what's up, dude. I think you're sick. You know, like <laughs> I, I wanted to just do this as like a virtual happy hour. I didn't even think you'd well, want to do a, an episode. So, uh, um, no, I love it. I, dude, I, I, I am beyond humbled by, you know, you doing this with me and, and I hope that, you know, people that do listen to this episode, get something from it and, and maybe get inspired by you and come check you out. And maybe that just like lights a fire for somebody. So thank, thank you. you so much, dude. I appreciate you. Take care, man. We'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to episode five of the Mikey Z TV podcast. I'm Mikey Z. For more information and show notes on this episode, go to MikeyZ.com. 
And special thanks to Peter for coming on the show. Check out more about him at peterandrew.ca and make sure to check out the NFT release at morethanzero.club. Make sure to like and subscribe and I will see you in the next one.